Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturday. Hi, you guys. It's Anna David here. I am your grateful host. Sure, I'm grateful. Uh, of After Party Pod, the podcast that is affiliated with After Party Chat, the site I edit and which has amazing articles, which I'm sure you all read. And luckily, I don't quiz you about them. It'd be hard, but I but I don't. I don't know how I do that, but but. Test me. I may find a way. Today's guest is Laura House, a comedian and the funniest person I've ever known. Now, faithful listeners will know that this podcast was once hosted by me and Laura House, but it was only the first episode because she got a job. Then we did a thing briefly where uh, I, I we would analyze uh, crazy recovery terms. Anyway, now she's back and we get her full story. Uh, The full story on Laura House, in case you don't know it, is that she, in addition to being the funniest woman alive, just so you know, when Louis C.K. did a uh, Reddit chat, he was asked, who's the funniest female comedian? He named a couple, and then he said, there's a girl named Laura House. I don't know if she does comedy anymore. And she doesn't because she now writes for television. Uh, She wrote for Blue Collar TV and Mom and the George Lopez Show, among others. Mm -hmm. And she does storytelling. She was in my storytelling show, True Tales of Lust and Love, more than any other person because she's that good. And then she has an essay called My Very First Stripper that's in my book, True Tales of Lust and Love, based on the popular uh, storytelling show. I think I hesitated over popular because it was... Depends on your version of popularity, really. And what is popularity, anyway? But a made-up thing in our heads that we can tell ourselves we do or don't have. I've sidetracked, and I apologize for that. Um, Laura's doing a lot of performing. She's doing stand-up. She's doing storytelling. Um, If you live in Los Angeles, you should be taking advantage of this. And she is sober for a while. And we talk about that, how uh, how she drank. She was, by the way, she launched on the television show Austin Stories, which has an ardent fan base. It was on MTV, featured Laura and a number of other Austin comics. And um, she's real modest though. And what else? She's a raw food expert. Mm-hmm. She kind of got me into this phase where I was like making pudding out of bananas and avocados. It actually tastes like chocolate. If you want the recipe, I'll email it to you. And and but she's now blogging about that on laurahouse.com. But anyway, we talked about her sobriety and alcoholism and how it affects her life. And unlike a lot of these interviews, it was less a conversation and more Laura talking, which is 
which is good, right? I don't know. Do you miss me when that happens? I, I, don't, I remember the last time I felt like that happened was Josh Leonard, which was, it's going to take a real faithful listener to remember that. It was early, early on. Anyway, this is Laura House. You will be delighted by her. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh, my God. I think my copy has, like, blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? How exciting is this? This is a thrill. I mean, it's terribly exciting for it's me. It's a thrill. I'm coming up on seven, and this is the highlight. You are? Yeah, seven years. When? 7-11-07 is my date. Isn't that a good one? Like, Yeah, we're all the I don't ever want to lose it. May you never lose it, but I mean, I think especially this year, and you won't have that till you hit 17. Sorry, yeah. not to jinx anything. No, no, I just mean like, I just like that that's the starting date, 7-11-07. Oh, you're it's right. Nice Sorry, to remember. I, for a second I thought it was 07. No. Forgive me. Forgive <laughs> me. Um, you just time machine back yeah, seven years. It was so real the way you talked about it that I was there. Um, I am a very good storyteller. I know. <laughs> Can we talk about how you just won Literary Deathmatch? I just won. It's That wasn't the name of it. The name of it is Right Club. But it okay. was it was a literary death match. Like okay. It was a competition was a literary thing. Different than the way you just explained it to me. No, well, you did. You, you took it. it the way you took it. But I said I won a literary death match. Like it, yeah, that's not the name of the show. Like it's called Right Club at the Bootleg Theater, which is great. And it was exciting to win. And it's a tribute to sobriety that I can show up and do something and follow through and have thoughts. But you were a successful stand-up comedian before sobriety. I was kind of. I think I was in, like, an unsustainable way. Like, when I got up to perform... When I first started performing, um, my uh, raging alcohol had not... Alcoholism had not kicked in. So when I first started performing, I remember telling myself... Like, I've always had weird... I wonder if all alcoholics have this, like a sense that you know you have a problem and it's going to end one day. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, but that if you're going to solve it one day. Maybe that you're going to solve it one day. I just had a, like a sense that I had, I had a pro. I thought I had a problem before I started. Like in high school, I was ad- an adamant non-drinker. Mm. I was like, I won't drink. I was really into church and I was like, I don't drink and... Um, I'm Pisces. This is so stupid, embarrassing, but I'm Pisces and it says you have like addictive because it's like there's addictive behavior problems or addictive personality. Is that in the description? In the weird, in the horoscope, whatever I read. So I remember like being a young person and being like, like, I think I have an addictive personality. I'll bet if I drank, I would become an alcoholic. <laughs> so I'm saying... My dad is a Pisces. That's all I'm saying. Well... No, and he's he's had addictive issues. So maybe there's something Well, I that. think across all horoscopes, there are, <laughs> like, addictions. Like, it's just, I do think You it's, can't really go, isn't that weird that only people born between February 20th and March 20th are in the Somebody should do... Somebody <laughs> should do... A, a, uh, you know what? You it would, might be me. You would find it exactly even. Well, we'll see. <laughs> what horoscope is more addictive? Um. So. Oh, but so I 
then I did start drinking and really got into it. And then, but when I started doing stand up, I, I told, I remember telling myself, like, I will not have a drink before I perform. Cause my fear was if I have a drink before I perform and I do well, then I'll think it had to do with that drink. And so I didn't for years. I would not, I would drink after the show, but I would not have a drink before I performed until, of course, I did, you know, until I did, <laughs> did have a drink before I performed. And then you have two, like, just the rules become so lax when there's drinking involved of, like, right. you know, I was, I will not have sex till I'm married. And then it's, like, let's just get through high school. And then it's, like, I'm going to wait a half hour. You know, like, you're just, like, your morals. The bar just the, <laughs> They just bend into, what you know, whatever town. Um, but I did one embarrassing thing I've never talked about. Exclusive. It's so, this is, this just in. Um, I performed a half hour, so I was a middle act in Houston and I taped the set and it was, it's always been hard for me in my head to have a good taped set. I always felt like if I were taping it, I would choke or flub or right. something, which is so dumb because it's just in your head. Like, By the way, True Tales of Lust and Love, every single one was taped. Oh, no. I'm going to go back and think they're horrible. What? You didn't know they were taped? No, no. I knew they were taped. Okay. okay. But um, they weren't videotaped, but they no. were audio taped. Yeah. Um, I have a really good voice, so I don't... I so, don't ever, it's so dulcet and sexy. I don't ever really strong. worry about my voice. Yeah. Um, what? That got weird. Um, so, but this was a video, and I, I, this was before I moved to LA, and I want, you know, you want the good tape to give it to agents and managers, and I was also kind of, I starred in a series in 97, which I feel like 1997 should just be like eight months ago. It turns out it's like 28 Does years not ago. Get depressing. <laughs> it's like eight? I feel like 1997 was like 36 years ago. Like I feel like it was 58 years ago. Oh, it just gets higher every second. Yes, it just is. It's I can't believe when you look up and go, that was almost 20 years ago. Like oh, that's insanity. I know, so I know, but um, that you not only starred in a series on MTV. But I happen to know that there that the president of MTV declared you the voice of a generation. All women. Of voice of so all women. So it's multi-generational, but all one gender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why not? Why not? And that show was a big deal. Yeah, I it didn't really know. It really was. You I didn't, didn't know. know no, it happened so easily. Well, I didn't know because I was in Texas. I didn't know because my head doesn't work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I just live in a box in my head. Yeah. And so as the alcoholic situation is. And so, and you don't know that, like, because a fish doesn't know it's in water, we can presume, because that's just all there is. So I didn't know I had complete wrong thinking. Right. You know, so I, I honestly was like, I was terrified that it was MTV. Because I, I felt it was like called Austin Stories. Austin for Stories who doesn't know. Yeah, I started in Austin Stories. I guess my point. Oh, I'll finish up the stand-up thing. So my point about the stand-up was this was around that time people were asking me for tapes. I needed a good tape, and I was like, I had done so well at that show. Like I had done so well at that half-hour show, and I sent one to Dave Becky at Three Arts. He had asked, mm-hmm. and um, he's like a big deal, you guys. Like if you watch Louis, it's Three Arts. Chris Rock, Three Arts. Like it's right. kind of a big deal. Right. So um, I I sent one off to him, and I also just a friend of mine in LA. Like I sent it off to him to like, oh, I got this tape. I didn't like watch it or anything. I was right. just like, oh, finally, I've got this awesome tape. And my friend sent me back an email, and the subject line was shitty set. 
Oh my God. I've never, and I was like, what? Like, I'm not, I don't do well with criticism. I don't know if you know anyone like that. And I, and the email was like, oh, that was hilarious. The tape you sent of like being like wasted on stage and like, you're just like a mess. And I was like, what? And I watched the tape I wasn't like a wasted mess. And also I was sort of paraphrasing what he said, but he thought I sent it as a joke. Like, isn't this funny? It's a great set. But I legitimately thought it was a really good set. I legitimately thought it was the best thing I'd ever done. Oh my God. And I watched and I was like kind of slurry and like, because I had had a few drinks before because I had broken all my rules and I had, um, you know, just like, just like the worst thing for a comic is the gaps but when there's just you just think like there's a lot of air in it there was just like a lot of air in it and like you know there were laughs it wasn't like I was booed off stage I wasn't fired or anything but it was you know like there are famous sets of like people just pass out or you know it wasn't that but it was just like sloppy it was sloppy and gross and it's not that you you don't send it to Dave Becky but I mean (laughs) back to your brain not working right no it didn't work right so I was just like oh I had a great because in your head when you're Drinking, yeah, you it's know, really bad or really I'm, good. I'm just a hot chick with a great <laughs> set. I'm hilarious. Everyone loved it, and like, which is so funny. I'm going hard to the test to, to the true tales where you would kill every single time, and then when I'd be like, "That was amazing," people are losing their minds. You'd go, "Really? <laughs> well, um, maybe that was false modesty." No, I don't think so. Maybe no, but you're also you're very supportive and you're very nice of my stuff, and I am. Uh, in this, my seventh year um, of being sober, I am more coming into, oh, I can't even say it because it, it sounds owning cheesy, your but talent. owning my power, yes, owning my talent and, and being able to say like, yes, this is a thing I'm good at. It's, you know, right. it's fine. Right. Like, right. here's a thing. But yeah, with the Austin Stories thing, I was like, it seemed like a big deal. Like, oh, I was chosen and this impossible thing I set out to do, I did, you know, t- 10 years before I thought it would happen. You know, this right. huge thing happened, you know, being on TV. I thought I'd do stand-up for like 10 years and then be Roseanne or whatever. Right. And it happened. I did a year of open mics and then MTV was like, we wanted to do a show. How did you. that happen? They saw one of your open mics? No, no. They did a showcase. Like, um... Letterman and Conan and people who use comics and stuff, they go around and they do showcases and comedy clubs to, you know, get a set. What's the talent here in Portland or, you know, Florida or Austin, whatever. So can anybody sign up for it? It's usually, no, the comedy club like wants to put their best foot forward. So they, the comedy club is usually like, you know, these are the people who are good and, you know, we want to show them off to you. Because obviously it's good for the comedy club too if they can be like, oh, that person on SNL, you know, yeah, I grew up here. So um, I was not one of those people (laughs) for their showcase. I worked at the ticket booth and I had been doing open mics and this is fun. Um, so this MTV showcase was coming to town and I, um, you know, I just, I didn't even presume I would, I would be in it. Right. I, I was not chosen to be in it. I would not be in it. And a guy I liked as is, as you know, from two tales of lust and love is the heart of so many of my stories. So many. <laughs> the, a guy like he's, he pulled me so I could really hear him. I guess God speaks to me through. He does. <laughs> 
she does. through boys I want to kiss. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's all I hear. Yeah, that's all I can listen you need, to. We need to get your attention. Yeah, I mean that's uh, not even that mysterious of a way. Yeah. That'd be the most obvious way to yeah. talk to me would be someone I want to make out with. So um, this guy pulled me aside and he was a. a it doesn't matter, but he was a comic, and he said... Um, it was Louie. He said, no, this guy said, um, you've got to get in that showcase. And I was like, well, I've just been doing open mics, you know, barely a year. I'm just going to make it less and less. I've only done two open mics. <laughs> I've um, never been on stage. I've only done one minute and a half on stage. and uh, But I'd done open mics for a year. And he said, you've got to get in that show. And I said, I, that's crazy. And he said, you're good, and you're funny, and you're young. Mm-hmm. And the only other woman in the show, and this is a, a funny number now, he was the only other woman in the show was 40, and this is MTV. Right, and he decent point. still has a point. And yeah. so I was like, all right. And I was terrified because I don't like to ask for things. But I I, I called the manager because mm-hmm. she was my boss because I sold tickets there. <laughs> and so I said, hey, can I be in – that MTV showcase, and this is how I pitched myself. Like, you know, I have incredibly high self-esteem. So I was like, um, I don't have a lot of time, but I do have five minutes. I can go first. Like, it's no big, just, can I do the showcase? And she said, well, I'm not going to make you go first, but you know what? Okay, I'll put you in the showcase. And she did make me go first while people are kind of still being seated. Like, you Mm -hmm. don't want to go first in a showcase. Maybe fifth. You don't want to go last. People are worn out. You want a sweet spot in the middle. Right. You don't want to follow the killer. You know, like, you don't want to follow the strongest. Like, there's all these things you want. And, uh, but I went first and, um, at the, and I had never even performed in the big room. Like, that was the big room of the comedy club. So for me, that night was kind of a coming out even a lot of Austin comics didn't know me. Like I right. just had done open mics. And so um, I was already excited because I did very well. And people in the community who I really respected were like, hey, you're really funny and that's great. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And did you drink before that one? I don't think so. I don't think mm-hmm. I drank. I, I'm, you know, maybe I had a drink. At, but I mean, alcohol wasn't part of uh, my story on that night. It's a good question, though. Well, and also, I feel like it was a big part of Austin's stories. Drinking? Not yours, but, like, I just think of, like, that episode where you guys had the, like, party. Oh, yeah, the, the weird party in my house. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of drinking, but I guess that's the truth of being twenty in your 20s. Yeah, 20s in Austin and yeah. slacker dumb and, yeah, absolutely – um, and for me, the, you know, once it got going, well, what happened that night was I had this great night. I felt like the bell of the ball. And, uh, and then at the end, this guy came up and he shook my hand, just like another person telling me I was funny. And then he said, uh, he introduced himself and he said, I'm a producer with MTV. And I just like lost my mind. It's yeah. like my organs just fell into my pain. Did you start crying? <laughs> like when I met Oprah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and no, I didn't. I kind of kept it together on the outside and was like, right. oh yeah, thanks. thanks. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah. the next day, cause I taught seventh grade and I did stand up at night. So the next, so it's like, it was a very Cinderella story. Yeah. So it's like, you know, like I'm at the ball that night. And then the next day I'm like grading papers. Right. <laughs> In my room and uh, in my classroom and taking role and all the horrible things you have to do as a teacher. Those aren't horrible things. No, they're amazing I, things where you're being I, service I, to your children. I had a chair thrown at me one day. Anyway, it's <laughs> a tough business <laughs> teaching. So um, the next day I was going to, I went, so I 
um, taught school, took a nap. That mm-hmm. was what I did. Mm-hmm. And then I um, went to the comedy club to sell tickets, my mm-hmm. second job. And the manager there, the one I had asked to be in the showcase, Margie, I said, um, you know, I was like setting up the ticket booth. <laughs> and she said, um, yeah, you're going to have to find somebody to replace you tonight. <gasps> so I instantly think I'm fired because that's all I ever think. Yeah, All yes. I ever think is I'm in trouble. You're mad at me. Yeah. And so... I was like, oh, why? why? I don't want to lose my sweet job selling tickets. And um, she said, MTV wants to take you to dinner. Um, and so MTV... They told her and not you? Well, they had contacted the club. What do they right. have my, you know... Well, when he's shaking your hand, he could have said, okay, fine. I'm okay with them contacting Maybe they me. had to talk it over. I don't know. But right. yeah, they contacted the club. Like, right. you know, we want to be in touch with these comics. And so, um, yeah, so I went out to dinner that night with... Um, these MDV producers, but also these three guys who were the funniest guys in Austin. And so that's when my head started spiraling into horrible town of like, I didn't even deserve to be sitting at this table. Well, but also there were only three spots on the show. What show? Austin Stories. Well, no, that's not true. It was built around us. Right. But there were three main people. There were three main people. But you were the only in, lady. In the show that you saw. Oh. But initially, there were four of us. And at one point, there were five of us. I did not know that. Well, of course you. How could you? I'd it's not like there's, it's like there's books about it. Well, no, we've never talked. We don't talk about it. Or you never talk about it. I have to drag well, it Well, no. But I mean, what? I mean, it was, hey, kids, gather around. 59 <laughs> years ago. Um, yeah, I... Um, it was, yeah, it was Howard Kramer and Chip Pope and a guy named Johnny Hardwick. And we were all at dinner. I was like, these guys are amazing. Like, I couldn't even believe I was, yeah. you know, like on a list with these guys on any level. Now, if I had my sensibilities that I have now or if I'd had any kind of emotional sobriety or like tools for living or any of the things, I, you know, I could just go, okay, I'm just going to go to dinner and this is how, you know, you can have a level of acceptance about what's happening. Yeah. But all I could do was like punish myself in my head. Like all I could do was like imagine that everybody thought this was ridiculous that I would be sitting with these guys and you know or or whatever as opposed to just going well I guess this is how I guess I'll just enjoy it it's happening like I I was just tearing at myself and I I drank a lot after the show got going because I I couldn't cope with any of it like I couldn't deal with any of it. you guys did a show or it was just dinner? No that was dinner but it led to the show that you saw and like and Johnny Hardwick has such a great story of Johnny was um what happened was they worked with us on and off for a year MTV of me and Johnny and Chip and Howard doing a show for them. And we did what we would now, I mean YouTube didn't exist 20 years ago, we're so old. But like we made little videos for them, like we made little bits and stuff. Right. And they didn't know what it would be, would it be something like we're commenting on videos? Would it be like we're VJs? Would it be like we're doing little sketches or interstitial stuff or have a show? Like we didn't know. They just were like, we like you and we like Austin. Right. And so after a year, they said, you know what, we're going to pass. And so we were like, okay, so now I've done stand up for two years. Mm -hmm. And then it was like a year and I was like kind of fine with it because I was so freaked out by the idea of, you know, insta, you know, I just had no right sizeness. So then a year later, the person who passed left MTV and the person who found us initially rose in ranks and became the president 
or the VP of current development or whatever, flew us out to Hollywood and said, you know what? We actually do want to do that show. We came across an old video you made and we think you're the, you know, whatever. And so then we had a show. And then Johnny, what was so great about Johnny Hardwick at that time, you know, he had come to LA and had been doing showcases and a guy named... Oh, I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. He's super, super famous. Anyway, uh, producer. Yes, Mark Maron. Um, (laughs) He's a famous producer. He's a famous producer. Didn't you just say that? Or he's a famous comic? No, the guy who I'm thinking of, Craig, is a famous producer. Okay. Um, So he saw Johnny at the Laugh Factory just as MTV is saying, we want to do another show with you. And he said, I want you to come work for me on my TV show. Mm -hmm. And... um, Johnny had to choose, do I go right on this TV show, you know, that may or may not make it, or do I star as myself on this other TV show that may or not make it, Mm -hmm. you know, and he chose the other show, which was King of the Hill. It was not Mike Judge, it was the other guy, Craig, it was his, it was the- Famous Craig. Well, he also, but he made The Office and he made, I, yeah. I just am totally blank on his name. I feel stupid. Anyway, as soon as I leave, I will remember his name. But he, uh, Greg, Greg, oh, you guys, Greg Daniels? Greg Daniels, yes. So <laughs> obvious. Yes, you no, guys, Greg. So he had seen Johnny and he was like, I love your voice. This is great. And Mike Judge actually knew us from Austin because if you're kind of famous in Austin, you know Robert Rodriguez. Like there's only right. like five famous people so you end up getting introduced at parties to rich link letter or whatever rich well that's his name i know him as what do you you call him sir richard i have never been to austin well so you and sandy bullock were really tight no she was not famous there yet she moved there much later anyway um we really set set we really made the bed for her set the table yeah anyway you're saying you're more famous than her go on at the time okay go on in austin okay go on. she had not even heard of austin yet okay um <laughs> she had no idea you what, don't know what she she of. didn't know what texas was at the time anyway so um so johnny chose king of the hill as a writer and then he became the voice of dale Oh, wow. So he had just this huge success as like a writer and Dale the whole time on King of the Hill. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we had 12 episodes of a show on MTV. <laughs> I, but I will say about that show. He's still counting his money. <laughs> I will say about that show that when I post on Facebook about doing something with you, people will go, oh, my God, Little House from Austin Stories. Oh, yeah. No, we... the. The fans that we had, there were some, like, they're hardcore fans. The, the people who love that show have, like, never forgotten it. Like, right. it's very sweet. Right. I meet them every now and then. Um, And so... And I'm always thrilled to meet them, you guys. Just uh, <laughs> ping me. Ping me, you guys. If anyone listening to this right now, Laura House will take you to dinner. I'm desperate for a... Te- well, I don't know think I'm going to take anyone to dinner, but I... You'll email them back. I will, yes, absolutely. I will electronically um, (laughs) respond. You don't know. You don't know. Um, So... I have become good friends with a few fans. So maybe you make the cut, maybe you don't. Yeah, yeah. One is a... Uh, one is a scientist in uh, San Francisco. He came out to a show and he was like, Brody's like the most amazing guy. And he, he uh, and his girlfriend at the time, Rusty, they were super cool. But he came out to a show and he was like, 
we saw you. I had not had this experience. He was like, we saw that you were performing, like at a little bar or whatever yeah, in yeah, San yeah. Francisco. We saw your name and we were like, could that be the same bar house from Austin Story? So we drove over from Oakland and we wanted to see you. And I was like, really? <laughs> and like, he was like, I work at the uh, Natural Science Museum in Golden Gate Park. If you ever want a, a backstage tour or whatever, like, you know, here's my number and whatever. And I almost never follow through because again, like, I have crippling so you think low self-esteem. Yes. And I, I'm also like, I don't call. This is my fear. Like I call in two, you know, two days or a week or whatever. And he's like, no. Right. Or just, you don't return. You know, like, right, but it's right, like, right. I'm a creep right, now. Right. Even though he made the offer. And so, but I did look him up and he didn't blow me off. And we took this amazing tour mm-hmm. and he's the smartest guy in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm thrilled to know him. There's Rusty. some good fans out there. Rusty. That, his girlfriend is Rusty. He's Brody. But uh. these are both fake names. But they're their fake names. And I, his name is Steven. That's so interesting. I was going to ask if it was His my- name isn't even Steven, but he looks like Bob Odenkirk. Anyway. I was going to ask if it was my brother, who is a scientist in San Francisco. Get out of town. Maybe they know each other. Maybe. He's become like more a like... He starts biotech companies. Um, oh. He might be a little beyond... He's a scientpreneur. <laughs> Yes. Wow. Yes. You can word blend anything. <laughs> Did you copyright that? Let's copyright no, that now. No, you got a little TM. Um, so, so then after six months, you come to LA. After six months. Sorry, after 12 episodes. Oh, yeah, yeah. You come to LA. Yeah, after Austin's stories. Yeah, it was great. We met some great people like... Um, like the head of Fox Casting was a fan of the show. And, you know, like we met people like that where people kind of reached out to us, which was great because you don't know how to, <laughs> like, what are you supposed to do? Like, how, right. do, you, how do you just become successful in right. television? Like, right, what, right. like, there's no, I guess there are technically a lot of books about it, but there's, you don't really know what to do. So yeah. it was nice to be in this position where, which again, I couldn't fully appreciate, but um, I'd been picked to by HBO to go to the Aspen Comedy Festival. That's where the president of MTV said, "You're the voice all, of all women," and yeah. it ruined my life because right. I because I took you don't her, feel like you measure up. I took her real seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas now, if somebody says that, you just go, "Oh, thanks!" Like it just means like I think you've got a great voice and people can relate to you. But I was like, I'm, "That's a lot of pressure." I'm the voice. Well, if you really take it on, like an idiot, like me. But I was like, she meant it when she I'm said the it. voice of all women. Like what? <laughs> What do they need me to say? <laughs> like, it was so embarrassing. Um, but yeah, it's hard to be a sensitive alcoholic and ah. take yourself seriously and kind of hate yourself and have done a lot of things that, like, uh, undermine your self-esteem, but right. then also feel like you should be the most famous person in the world. Like, <laughs> it's I know. very hard to live. Do you have that thing that I that I hear people say a lot where... <laughs> Where you want all the attention, but then you want to hide. Yeah, yeah. And you want it to keep coming. Like, you want to be like, like, no, 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 come on. And if the people are like, all right, then buy your way. Where are you going? Like, it's just a bizarre... Um, Dichotomy. Yeah. Well, and it's also just being a baby. Like, it's right. just not taking responsibility, I learn. You right. know, it's not taking responsibility for you know, your talent. Like, if you take responsibility for your talent, you go, okay, I'm going to nurture this. Right. I'm going to give myself time to write. I'm right. going to send it off to publishers. Whatever, you you have, like, a practical plan. Right. But an alcoholic head is just, like, 
you know, if you think you're a good writer, you can go. I know, I know people who are supposedly really good writers that just go years without writing because they're just a good writer. Like someone should just know that. Well, I would say that that is true. I've been thinking about this recently. A lot of sober people I know who are in the program who are doing it are the most self-sabotaging when it comes to success in career. And I don't relate to that. I am, of course, self-sabotaging in all sorts of ways, but I don't understand, because I'm narcissistic, how people do that with their careers. Because mm. that seems like, like here's a thing mm-hmm. that, um, that I talked about with my therapist, where, you know, those of us who did not in our home get the right nurturing and support that would set us up to be successful, however you define success, right? Um, you get into something like a program where you learn what it's like to get love and support, mm-hmm. and you can then do it, um, which was very much my story. I couldn't stop getting fired before I got sober, oh. and then and then I well, I've, I've only got <laughs> I've only gotten fired after I've gotten sober, which is much harder. Yeah, I continue. It's to much get harder fired. on your on your psyche. But I remember the first time I got fired in sobriety. I took it so well because I had that newcomer, everything happens because it's me too. (laughs) God's protection. Yes. So (laughs) unemployment is God's protection. But so, and and because I had that attitude, it ended up being the best thing in the world. I swear to God, I do think that that, how you react has a lot to do with what comes afterwards. Yeah, for sure. So, okay. So you um, did not do those things that would have... uh, you know, sort of spurred your career along at that point? Well, I mean, I formed some relationships with people. I did okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I met some people and formed relationships. I mean, one of the one of the people I met was a great, uh, her name was Lisa. And she, at the time, worked for Fox um, Studio. And she f- basically was a headhunter, kind of, like, found writers for them mm-hmm. to make deals with and stuff back when they were making deals with people. Yeah. <laughs> it, like, a lot. I remember that. And, yeah, I know. It sounds like the good old days. And so Lisa, it was great. Like, we just legitimately became friends. She's super cool. I remember one night we she was like, let's just do something fun. Like, <laughs> go out for steak and martinis and smoke cigars you know like so it was like me and her and a uh, lady writer like we w- just did that like right. just a fun like just lady time and right. just being goofy and and she was great and so we kept in touch like when I came to visit LA for a few days like stayed with her I think she was even out of town and just was like yeah stay at my place like right. really cool um and uh yeah so I managed to come out here and I I signed with William Morris, and I... Did you ever hear from the Three Arts guy? Well, I mean, we were in touch for a while. I, I just frankly ended up just not signing with him. But, but did he know you were drunk in the thing you sent him? You know, he never has commented on... He never said anything, so I don't know if he watched it or didn't, or they right. get so much... But you know what? He never confronted me the way my friend... But I've never forgotten that. And can you imagine that email subject line, shitty set? No. And then he was like, oh, I thought you were kidding. And I was like, no, I really... <laughs> I didn't even know if I said it to him. Like, I'm sure I was just like, yeah, totally. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I'm sad, so sad inside. But um, yeah, I came out here. I tested for things. I got close, but I didn't I didn't have a work ethic of like, like the best. It's so funny to me. It's taken me so long to learn the best Hollywood TV glamour movie star work ethic you can have is a blue collar, you know, 
nine to five work ethic. Yeah. Like the best thing you can do for your glamorous, you know, right. showbiz career is to work like, I don't want to say a minor because I think that's way, you don't have to work that hard. Bricklayer? <laughs> but some, or some, just like uh, someone who goes to work every, you know, work yeah. like you sell insurance. Like yeah. go to work every day, sit down, do the job, make the call, do, you know, like you don't have to get too up or too down. Like just do the work. Like, if you're going to be an actor, like, get an acting class, get your headshots. Yeah. Like, um, if you get a job, like, a, you know, apprentice or intern or assist, be a casting assistant, yeah. you know, like, be in the thing where you want to be and head that direction. You know, like, I didn't know. So I was just kind of, I feel like I came to LA and was like, I don't know, I guess I just sit here. Right, right. <laughs> and anytime I had a roommate for a while and anytime we had like $50, we would throw a party. Right. Like we were like, how do we pay rent? How do we pay rent? And then like, dude, I just got $50. Well, it's totally have a party. Like right. I don't even know how we survived that year. Like right. it was, uh, at this point, it's a great like in your 20s. Yeah. Shared a house in Silver Lake story. <laughs> but at Silver the time. like how ahead of your. Oh, yeah. No, I made Austin cool for Sandy Bullock. Yeah. I you made single-handedly. <laughs> well, it was me and like 400 gay guys. Right, right. <laughs> so it was 400 gay guys. Yeah. And then we came in. And then, and then yeah, now it's just. What? It's you just can't even get into Hard Times Pizza. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. No. So. Yeah, you one one day you wouldn't know. So okay, so let's get into the progression of alcoholism. No. Um, so so you you were doing things, but you didn't have the work ethic, right? Yeah, I flopped around a little. Yeah, I was drinking more and more too because I could at the time. Yeah, and I remember just kind of starting to feel crazy. In my, like, I kind of started to sense I was like out of control. And of course, I have a mind to solve my own problems. So I was like, obviously, I need a man. Mm -hmm. Um, And my, and it was also like friends were getting married, and I was like, I need to get married. So I ended up um, getting married. I did. I ended up getting married. Yeah. Honestly. And he was the first person, God bless him, he was the first person who said, I think you have a problem with alcohol. Mm -hmm. And my response was, you don't know how to drink. Mm -hmm. Classic. Possibly he didn't. They're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. I. You know what? We were both right in our own way. Yeah. Um, But I remember we even had... um, uh, we got married in Episcopalian church, the church I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a counseling session before it was required. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it said, like, write down, you know, the thing you argue most about. And, you know, there were all these questions. And one of the things was, like, write down, um, you know, the biggest problem you think the other person has or whatever. Oh, yeah. And literally I wrote, like, he doesn't drink enough. And he wrote, she drinks too much. <laughs> That's like, how do we not work out? It's so weird. <laughs> so so then that, that doesn't work. I got married and I, that actually quelled the drinking because like running up to finding him and making him marry me mm-hmm. was um, just a lot of the gross. Right. St- you know, the, um, I mean, if you call drinking anything and getting Having physical sex. with anything gross. gross if you think of that Maybe as gross you think of that as wonderful which i do think of it as gross um but yeah i was just i mean just desperate and i yeah. and when looking back like uh 
I would admit, you know, you don't know at the time. You just keep covering it up with booze. But looking back, I was like really like de- like like crying inside, mm-hmm. you know, just like something fix me, you know, mm-hmm. or like something save me. So I remember I got married and that cut back on the drinking and the sex with other people mm-hmm. considerably. Right. Um, <laughs> but not entirely. And, um, but I remember, you know, I was still upset and unhappy and um, I... I remember saying that to him and him saying, well, I am happy. I'm fine. And if you're not happy, you need to do something about it. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I guess I will. And so like I found a, a you know, like a therapist who works on a sliding scale mm-hmm. and I, um, cause I was just doing part-time jobs and doing sketch comedy and stuff. I mean, what I didn't mention is for a year I had a job in San Francisco working on internet stuff for a year, which was mm-hmm. great. And it was mm-hmm. when I came back from that, um, I married this guy. And um, anyway, so he, uh, that's when I got my first 12-step program. Actually, it was food-related because mm-hmm. it was easier for me to go, oh, I have a, you know, there's food issues. Also, any American woman. Yeah, has food issues. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh and certainly is is told she has, you know, you're too thin, right. you're too. I mean, every, I mean, every message, even on supposedly our friend Oprah's magazine, right? You know, is like fix that thing about, yeah, you, you know. But also, the food program is a lot more horrible, I hear, than the other twelve step programs because it's really hard. I mean, the same way I hear SLAA is is really hard because it's something you're not giving up. It's quote unquote much easier. Oh, because you because you have to manage. You have to it. right. Yeah. Like as if there were an a um an alcohol program that was like drink a little. But there are. <laughs> and they you never hear about are. them because they're not terribly effective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean they I guess if you were going to claim an abstinence and a food thing, they would say they it's strongly yeah it's strongly recommended across the board give up flour and sugar yeah which is very hard to convince people of yeah and it's also hard to do and eat conveniently in this society it's like, also I, hard I, to do it's hard to do but it's also hard to do socially yeah. like you know flour and sugar is quite rampant yes. um so yeah so i got in this food program and i kept drinking (laughs) and I just started seeing, I mean, I guess my big, you know, the big alcohol, like coming up to like hitting a bottom was, um, I was in and out of this food program and I had, you know, and I was, I was getting success or not success or, um, you know, career wise, career wise. I, um, yeah, I was, you know, I guess there was a boy, I should pick a word. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of... I started writing for TV. Mm-hmm. And the way that happened was um, I was so frustrated that my marriage and this guy weren't fixing me. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and yes, I did make amends to him. Mm. But I... That's what I was... <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I thought, you know, I had this part-time job 
<laughs> just like everyone. I was teaching part-time at an Orthodox yeshiva. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Write a passage for all of us. Everyone does it. Yeah. And I, because I'd been a teacher, as I mentioned, in Texas, and so they hired me. So it was a part-time job, and I also did sketch and audition for commercials and, you know, whatever I could figure out to do. And one day it occurred to me, I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, it just hit me, like, right. really, like, a moment of clarity. Like, I don't want to do this. And yeah. I'm struggling with the food program and this terrible marriage and this part-time job. And I don't like anything in my life. Right. At all. And I was, and I just, it's like I just woke up one day walking in the halls of that school. I can picture it. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I, this, what am I doing? Like, how did I marry this guy? Right. Do, like, it's like I just came to. Right, right. And, um... The, the scared part of my brain that had always been there that was making me make horrible decisions was like, yeah, but if you write for TV, you know, it's hard. And I was like, you know what? This is hard. Yeah. It's hard to do something you don't want to do yeah. at all times. Yeah. And so I... Do you, are we running out of time? No. Because this, yeah. this is a great story. It's, it's, I know. And don't... T- I know we're all very sensitive. Do not take my glance as anything. Oh, no, no, no. Complete adoration. No, I took saying. it as like, oh, is the battery okay? Or battery is, the, is yeah, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also... I'm aware that my... That's why I'm watching it. This is going to go off. Okay. No, we're good. Okay. okay. So this is the story of how I got my first... Um, after Years after Austin Stories, my other first TV writing job... Mm-hmm. The story is amazing to me, mm-hmm. not to set it up too much, you guys. I know part of it. Okay. So what happened was, so I'm wandering the, <laughs> I wasn't wandering, I was working the hall, so I'm in, in the, the yeshiva, and I was like, I don't want to do this, and um, I was like, I want to write for TV, and I just, I mean, just clarity, mm-hmm. like just, that's what I want to do, where before mm-hmm. I'd been like, I'm a performer, I'm a writer, no, right. I, I want to act, but I'm a stand-up, and I was like, I'm going to write for TV, mm-hmm. clear. And I didn't know how. I didn't have. I didn't have a script. Right. <laughs> you know, you'd think maybe have a script, but right. I had been doing sketches. So this is what I did. I worked with what I had. So I took like my seven best sketches, and I emailed them to like five friends who were good at that sort of thing. Here was my intention: that smart, funny friends would say like, "Okay, of these seven, yeah, these three one. are good." And then I'd go from there. Like, I just had no idea. Right. But I thought, at least it's something. Right. So I sent off these sketches and a friend wrote back and she said, can you send me more? And I said, "Uh, all right. And then she said, like, on this one, can you adjust this? And then, like, she gave me notes. Right. And I was like, okay. And then I did it and sent it back to her. So this was on a Monday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I've been working at this yeshiva for like two and a half years. So this is like on a Monday uh, in the spring. And she said, she's giving me these notes or whatever. And the next day she was like, "Um, can you send me a few more? And I did. And what had happened was she worked, she wrote on a TV show called Blue Collar TV. Mm -hmm. And apparently the day I had sent her things, she gave them to her boss. Mm -hmm. And apparently that night, Mm -hmm. the network called the boss and said, you need to hire more women. Wow. And my stuff is sitting on his desk. Right. Having been handed to him by, you know, one of his favorite writers. Yeah. So this was on a Monday. By Thursday, she said, they want you to pitch ideas for the show. And somebody from the show called, hey, we want you to pitch ideas on Monday. Yeah. So my friend said, so you need an agent. Yeah. To take that call. And I was like, oh, that agent I haven't been using. What are you talking about? So my friend Lisa, who I had mentioned from Austin, 
um, who I met in Austin. Yeah, she. I knew she had become an agent. Okay. And so I had not talked to her for years and alcoholism. I didn't want to ask. Yeah. But uh, I... I like tugged a few more strings and like nobody could junior agent me or give me to someone or pretend to be an agent or whatever. And so my friend um, who had passed the stuff along that kind of got in my face on the phone, she's very uh, strong. Mm -hmm. And she said, you're not bugging her. A TV show wants you to pitch ideas and she's an agent. Give her a call. Like she was like, snap out of it. Yeah. And I was like, okay. So I called and like left a rambling message with her assistant. And uh, Lisa called back and was like, how are you doing? This is so great. So like she goes, you tell him I'm your agent. Wow. And I will totally take this call. And this is great news. So Monday, Yeshiva, Thursday, she wasn't signing me, but she yeah. was like, you know, I have this. Then Friday, I had jury duty. Okay, so the next Monday, mm-hmm. um, I pitch ideas, mm-hmm. and it goes well. Mm-hmm. And then on Wednesday, Lisa brings me into her amazing agency, like mm-hmm. one of the top agencies. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know what? We're going to sign you regardless. I'm really glad to come back into contact with you. Mm-hmm. And this is great. And then on Friday, that TV show made me an offer. That's amazing. And I wrote on that TV show. That's amazing. Two weeks, plus all those other f- yeah. 15 years of <laughs> trying and crying. You made it. You yeah. Made it in two weeks. Well, I mean... That was an amazing turn of events. Yes. Because I wouldn't even have known what to do with... Even looking back now, I'm like, what were you going to do with three... If everyone signed off and said, these are three good... What are you going to do with that? That's unheard of. And it wouldn't happen today, probably. I don't know. I mean... Because it's got, always something weird, you know. Like somebody yeah. can go, I don't know. I just had this weird idea for a video, and I posted it, and I got signed. Like, I mean, and I remember that's that's a famous story about Jill Soloway that she wrote oh, this funny thing about yes, Courtney Cox's, Courtney Cox's asshole. Yeah, is her and, her and, story, and it got her on Six Feet Under. Yeah, Alan Ball loved it. Yeah, but she had also been doing the Brady Bunch live on stage, right, and right. like everyone's story also has this other you know, that you don't always mention. Yeah. You know, like yeah. this, uh, like, well, I had been doing shows for a long time and she had been, you know, around the comic scene with yeah. Janine Garofalo and Greg Barrett. And, right, you know, right, she, right. she wasn't just like, I was sitting in Iowa. Yeah. I wrote this story. It was just sitting on my desk. <laughs> Alan Ball walked through my room, yeah. found it. You know, it's always like, you're, you're, you're knocking, it's like you're knocking on all these doors yeah. and you just don't know, you know, I, I still don't know where the next thing is going to come from. But that was like, that felt really like divinely intervened, right. that, that move. I didn't know why anyone divine or anything divine would need me to write on blue collar TV. But well, you it are felt, the funniest person <laughs> I know, so it that's why. something happened. But the drinking, my, oh, this is, buckle up because this is, this I'm going to take a hard left. Okay. Um... 13-week job. I'm going to burst into tears. 13-week job. My mom died week mm. 10. Mm. It's that horrible? Um, but on the goods, I mean, she was happy that I, you was know, was, your had dream. this success, you know, this level of success. And so that's good. But uh, that was horrible. And it spun me, as of course it would. And um, I was doing a food program at the time. So... Part of that food program was not drinking. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it was funny. I know I was still married. I had tried to leave him so many times. Like, I'd literally asked for an annulment. Right. Like, it was not good. Yeah. But my mom had always said, just hang in there. And right. honestly, I married him after she had been diagnosed. It's a whole other story of right. why I got married. But 
uh, once she passed, I remember my husband at the time saying like, you know, um, I know if, you know, my mom died, I'd eat those Oreos or whatever it was. I was saying something like, I don't want to just binge eat. And he was like, I would. And I was like, you're right. And I just tore, like, I just, (laughs) I think I didn't stop putting things into my mouth for like nine months. Um, but I, a year later, um, I got hired. I did learn how to write a script, and I got hired on a sitcom, and then I left that marriage. Mm-hmm. And it was after that that I really went nuts with the – I mean, of course, you're divorced. And um, so it was like the food program enough to get me into a different weight class of cuter guys. Mm-hmm. And then um, one guy – I remember the weekend I learned to meditate – I also met this guy that was so cute. The drummer. No, it wasn't the drummer. I knew the drummer is a whole other story. Wait, pause. I will. Um, okay. Ah, we're back with Laura. <laughs> My bottom, bottom. Yeah. So I had. So I was writing for TV. Mm-hmm. I left um, this marriage that was not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Um, then I was dating, and I was doing all these. I was in the food program. I was in an intense food program, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I uh, was looking good. I was doing all this healthy stuff, and I was also having this experience of like higher power, and you know, because you also don't drink in in that. And I remember saying to a friend that I was in it with, like, after thirty days, I was like, you know, the not eating sugar and flour is good, but I think the not drinking is really helping me. <laughs> like I was thinking more clearly and. I was also feeling, like, grateful, and I was feeling like I can do stuff, like I was making healthier choices on a daily basis than I thought I was even capable of, and, you know, I was having this really great experience, and and then I decided, like, oh, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn to meditate. That seems mm-hmm. like a really healthy thing you can do. So, again, the weekend I learned to meditate. Uh, I, you know, I made this decision to like take this short four day course and, you know, like an hour and a half, four days in a row. And I was like, you know, okay, I'm going to do this. That exact same time I met a really cute guy. Drummer. No, he was not the drummer. <laughs> I knew the drummer, but he was still peripheral. Mm-hmm. Um, no, this was a different guy who the night I met him at a comedy place, um, he had been smoking and he was drinking, and then he was, like, going back out, like, outside to, like, get high. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, but he was so cute, and I remember thinking, like, I don't need that in my life. Like, mm-hmm. I'm healthy now. Mm-hmm. And then he was like, hey, do you want to hang out? And I was like, sure. Mm-hmm. And so it's like I learned to meditate, and then I hung out with this guy, and I think the first night we had, so I'm on this food program where there's no drinking mm-hmm. and only eating mm-hmm. very specific healthy things. So I think it was... French fries or buffalo wings mm-hmm. and then vodka. Mm-hmm. And the vodka was fine with me because I was like, I'm not really an alcoholic. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't explain my ridiculous food program to him. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I'm kind of fine with the vodka because... Mm-hmm. That's not the program you're in. That's not my real problem. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, and French fries, obviously you don't eat them, but it's not like I have them a lot. I'm sure it's all fine. Vegetables. So it was like... <laughs> French fries, vodka, sex with this guy I don't mm-hmm. even know. <laughs> and then I was, I was just on. Yeah. And I remember, it's not funny, it's sad, but I remember, like, and he got hot. He was a stoner, mm-hmm. and I'd never been a stoner, mm-hmm. and I'd never dated one. Mm-hmm. But I had it in my dumb head that doesn't work right 
that like everyone should get that opportunity mm-hmm, to be like, a donor. Yes, like every like there were that way. yeah like okay so it's and just make it up like, yeah there were, like there was the kid in high school that like wore the army jacket and he was just high all the time in our school his name was Todd mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was in honors classes mm-hmm. ours yeah I mean this is wrong but I'm just gonna tell you they were called the Asian Connection because they were three and they were all Asian they became really hot from them yeah oh yeah we weren't so exotic <laughs> Todd, we Todd just lived in Arlington yeah yeah um, but yeah we uh I you know and I was kind of glamorized that or like mm-hmm. you know comics the guy who just gets high and does shows and he's up all night and sleeps all day and yeah. lives in squalor right but I still romanticize like oh, it's so cool like you're so smart and artsy and yeah. you know whatever and so this guy you know he's wearing the plaid um, cowboy shirt with the snaps like he's mm-hmm. just the cutest little hipstery you mm-hmm. know listening to NPR and quoting mm-hmm. this or that book I don't know mm-hmm. and from Portland just everything about it was so like Hot. this this to me yes to like I hadn't been out much and mm-hmm. so I was like th- this was my honest like thoughtful mm-hmm. and this was like six months mm-hmm. of the food program and not drinking and mm-hmm. eating really healthy I was like, and then just learned to meditate. And Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what? (laughs) Getting high is really similar to meditating. To meditating. And I was like, it's all just relaxing and letting go. And I, you know, like, to me, it was taking care of myself Mm -hmm. to just be with this guy and Mm -hmm. drink and get high. I was Mm -hmm. like, I've been doing this, you know, no one thinks this food program is long term, it's Mm -hmm. too intense. Obviously, I'm not going to go back to where I was ever. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I deserve this. <laughs> and so I had a similar getting high period for a different reason. Mm. When I was doing coke, I thought, you know, it would be so much better to be addicted to pot because <laughs> it's less expensive. Yes. It goes a lot further. It's natural. It's a, it's a grass. I mean, yeah, I didn't do that. I just was so like, funny. it would be a more economical experience to be addicted to that. And I tried. I would buy pot. I, I remember smoking before going to get a manicure because I was like, look. I should just, if I'm going to be a stoner, I should just be stoned before I do everything and just sort of being all paranoid. Mm-hmm. Like, Pog didn't agree with my brain. Go on. It doesn't agree with mine either. I get real, like, I get real dumb and I get like, I don't know if I said something. Oh, or you did. Just thought I, it. I can't communicate. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. So I just stare <laughs> and I don't know if like I'm laughing or like, like something you said maybe five minutes ago, I'm still thinking about and then maybe <laughs> I'm looking at you and la- like, I'm like the word, like you, i I'm the person you don't want to get high with. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. no question. But no, I got high before um, uh, a massage one time. Mm-hmm. And that was actually a pretty good experience. I'm like, I am just going to like really get into this. And that was not bad. But uh, one night, and it wasn't at this, it was at the earlier time of my using, we <laughs> lived in the valley, uh, me and a girlfriend, and there were two guys with us. Um, we took acid mm-hmm. and then we took the subway mm-hmm. over here to Hollywood Boulevard and we went to the Wax Museum mm-hmm. and Ripley's Believe It or Not, <laughs> which I cannot tell you not to do. <laughs> I got to say, if you're sober, do don't, not do it. don't throw away your sobriety to go do it. But if you're not, I don't know. I mean, I got to say like that was, I mean, obviously it was a trip. We were actually tripping, but it yeah. was like, because... 
acid, I've only ever had good experiences on. I never had the weird, terrible acid trip. Right. So acid for me unlocks the... It, it, it quells doubt. Right. But not enough for me to like jump off a building, but just enough for me to like just enjoy everything. Like, so I knew I was at a wax museum, but everything about it was so funny. Like you'd turn the corner and like, there's like mash, like everyone right. from mash. And you're like, why mash? Like it just seems so, like such a funny, you know, like, uh, and they Winchester, but not Larry Linville who put like, it was just so like what they chose. And then you turn the other corner and there was Forrest Gump and you're like who designed this right why is Marilyn Monroe hanging out with Madonna that's weird <laughs> like just everything is hilarious like yeah. I just on acid I just have it like a like a childlike appreciation for everything like never I love acid, it never would really oh yeah oh I it was kind of my, and I did not do it often but like one time actually early on when I was trying to get my uh husband to like be more like me we he had never done acid and he he wanted to Mm -hmm. and we did it Mm -hmm. um and i remember he would start to get weird but not authentically weird but like weird like you see on tv like and i think sometimes people can do that with drugs like Mm -hmm. you know i'm just gonna act like how i think you're supposed to act on this like and so he was like like, oh, I'm not feeling weird. I was like, well, yeah, you're on a drug. Like, it's not like I always had. Yeah, I always had the understanding that I was on a drug. So, of course, you're going to feel kind of funny or whatever. Like, acid really agreed with me. So, again, I only did it maybe 10 times in 10 years. But right. um, if that. But anyway, but I remember I was like, let's, we should, we were on acid, we were in our apartment. I was, and I was like, you know, it'd be nice. Let's get out and just like go to the park. You know, and just sit, like, look at the, the stars. And he goes, what if we can't find our way back? And I was like, we're on acid. Like, we're, we're not idiots. <laughs> like, like, not like, we know where we live. And then he then he was fine. Like, but, like, had I been like, yeah, what if we don't know what an oven is? He would have been like, yeah, what if we don't know what a knife is? Like, but I was like, we, we know where we live. Like, right. we're not, like, we didn't just, like, lobotomize ourselves. Right. We're, like get with it, right? Die on acid, supportive wife. <laughs> I'm, I'm not masculating in the in the least. What? So, um, so okay. the bottom. Yeah, I dated that guy for like four months, six months, something, and I was way more into it than he was. Mm-hmm. And then we went on a break, mm-hmm. which I did not know was a break. Was a breakup. Oh, right. I took him at his word. Right. <laughs> and imagine my surprise. Right. When he posted on MySpace that yeah. he was back with his girlfriend right. or whatever. And um, I remember calling and I was like, what? Son, you're, you're, this is weird. It's like, you're back with, like, it's a funny typo. And then he was like, oh, yeah. He was so, like, not into me the way I was into him that he was like, oh, yeah, I'm back with my girlfriend. I'd love to take you out for a drink and tell you all about right. it. And I was like, well, no, like, like, absolutely not. So I had to get over him. But by that point, I was, I wasn't so much addicted to getting hyped, but I was drinking a lot. Mm -hmm. Like he drank a lot and I drank a lot to keep up with him. Mm -hmm. But turns out when he wasn't around, I still drink a lot to keep up with him. Right, right. (laughs) Imagining what he might be drinking. So I had a roommate 
who was a normal person. So I would have a glass of wine at night like a normal person. Mm -hmm. And then I would pour wine into a you-can't-see-what's-inside-it coffee Mm -hmm. tumbler. And then I would drink from that Mm -hmm. thinking he doesn't know what I'm drinking Mm -hmm. as if it's normal to drink coffee Mm -hmm. from a travel mug Mm -hmm. at 10 o'clock at night Mm -hmm. and then be drunk Mm -hmm. because it was a bottle of wine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think you probably did know. We just, I just edited a story that will run an after party about that exact thing. Oh, really? It's just like my so-called secret alcohol. (laughs) Yes, when you're just like, like I look totally normal. Right. And like, yeah, you're always the last to know that you're yeah. a, an I do alcoholic. think, I still do think that nobody knew about me. Very few. Mm. Very few. Mm. Or maybe they were all alcoholics. Okay, let's get to recovery. That helps. Yes, so my bottom was after that guy and the breakup, basically one year after I felt so good on that food program, like I said earlier. Like it was one, one year to the month, and so two years after my mom died, um, I... When I was like, I'll never go back to how I was, I was exactly how I was. I was at like miserable. The weight was back on. I'm drinking out of control. And I went and visited a friend of mine. Um, I went and visited some friends in Texas and then I visited my friend in Oklahoma. So my actual bottom was in Oklahoma City mm-hmm. where there was one night where I just did whatever. Like, people were like, hey, do you want some Coke? And I was like, no, no. And they go, are you sure? And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a lady. Mm-hmm. You know, like, t- you twisted my arm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you sure? And um, so it was like, Coke, I don't smoke cigarettes, but they do, so I did. There were uh, Red Bull and vodka. There was like a, an ice luge mm-hmm. at this bar we went to. So I'm putting my mouth where other people's mouths are mm-hmm. on this ice sculpture mm-hmm. and having Red Bull and vodka poured down a luge into my mm-hmm. my throat, um, and then I'm flirting with one guy, and then I made out with a guy later, and then there was a, like another guy showed up, and mm-hmm. then and he had Taco Bell. I mean, there was just every possible mm-hmm. substance, including Taco Bell, right? And it was the next morning as I was driving back to my family in in Texas from Oklahoma that I was like it was really that was the that it hit me and that I was like oh you're gonna keep doing this Mm -hmm. like that was my bottom was that realization Mm -hmm. of like you know a year ago you felt good and healthy Mm -hmm. and you were making good decisions and learned to meditate and all these things and and now you're like this is what you're gonna do Mm -hmm. you're gonna ingest anything that anyone puts in front Mm -hmm. of you and so I was like I've got to get back into that food program Mm -hmm. so recovery came I went to that food program and I the three times I had gone out of that food program was not with food it was with alcohol so I sort of had to acknowledge that and um so I started going to AA meetings not identifying as an alcoholic Mm -hmm. at all Mm -hmm. but I started going to like well maybe it'll just like rub off on me and I won't want to drink Mm -hmm. so I can successfully do this food program so I went on Monday Wednesday Friday and after a few weeks it's like I would hear speakers and I would just cry Mm -hmm. and I just started identifying with the AA more than the food not that I didn't have a food issue but I really identified with the emotions and the labeling, you know, of the of the inner world, mm-hmm. you know, that people do with alcoholism. And I remember, I remember a guy sat there um, one day and he said, "All I want, oh, so great." He goes, "All I want is to be entertained and inspired at all times." <laughs> and I was like, "That 
that's me. Like I, right. you just, and even people don't talk about like that in the food thing. They're right. just like, oh, I'm so fat. Like right, it, it, right. it was just, you know, like I wanted chips so bad and I couldn't. And like, but AA is really addresses the emotional. I mean, not that all food. I don't want to put down the food things, but it's like it really spoke to just that inner emptiness. Yeah. Anything to feel better. Felt lost since birth, you know, mm-hmm. like just this never felt like I fit, you know, and, and people who were successful and people who looked good and people saying, you know, the same emptiness inside and the same, and you're just going like, oh, this is my thing. Like, mm-hmm. this is, I have this thing. And also, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just like, oh, and I'm going to do whatever it is to try to fill this thing or stop thinking about this thing. And so it was six weeks into going to this program that I didn't identify with that it's about six weeks I asked someone to sponsor me. Mm-hmm. And that's when I felt like I threw in the towel and I've not had a drink since that. Well, I haven't had a drink since that six weeks, but that was um, July 11th, mm-hmm. 07. And mm-hmm. um, I reached out to two of my friends who I knew from comedy who were sober mm-hmm. just to like out myself, mm-hmm. like, cause I respected them and they were great. And, um, so I called one and, you know, just, I just want to tell you, I'm, I just identify it as this thing and I don't, you know, I, I just want you to know. Mm-hmm. And another friend and I called her and we talked for a minute and the second friend said, um, I was like, it's just weird because like, what if I, <laughs> it's just alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, it's just weird. Is it like, I'll never drink again. Mm-hmm. Like, what if I get married again or like mm-hmm. win an Emmy? <laughs> like you're just instantly mm-hmm. like, were you nominated for an Emmy? Right. Or are you engaged? Right. You know, like I was like, what if there's a wine tour in France? Or I, I always had, this is the most r- ridiculous version what if I'm on like a private jet with Quincy Jones? Right. <laughs> I've never, <laughs> what if I'm, I'm on a private jet with Quincy Jones and this is like, you know, a 150 year old wine and he needs, you know, like whatever. And it's like, is that, are you supposed to go to the airport later? Like it just like ridiculous. And so I asked my friend these questions and she goes, wow, these sound like a lot of questions an alcoholic would ask. Mm-hmm. And like, I was like, oh, oh, I guess they do. So I remember hearing somebody share, by the way, in the very beginning that she said, um, I-, I just don't know, like, do I not get to drink at my daughter's wedding? Mm-hmm. And, and they were like, somebody said to her, well, when is the wedding? And she's like, oh, I haven't had yeah. a daughter. Yeah. I don't even have any children. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's always like this, you know, what about that? bicycling wine tour of France I will never do because right. it sounds horrible right. and it's like well first of all you might tour France you're just gonna eat more cheese than you should right <laughs> like and you'll be fine that's what I say to newcomers um I just said this the other day was you know there's there's no point in reacting to how you feel right now because it's all going to change and mm-hmm. for alcoholics the the problem isn't what happens to us it's our reactions to what yeah. happens to us that makes the, everything seem so so big and yeah yeah so huge yeah I have a great sponsor she's still my sponsor and it's funny it's it interesting to me that I'm coming up on seven years because a couple of months after she started sponsoring me she got seven years Mm -hmm. and of course it just it might as well be seven thousand yeah yeah, my first sponsor had six years, and I just thought that was unfathomable. Yeah, and you're, and it is, and it is. Like, a Friday night is unfathomable. Right. And so I, yeah, I identified, and I, I got sober, and I was still, 
I was doing stuff at this sketch theater in town. I was in between writing jobs at that moment, and well, and there was a strike, and um, I um, I was directing sketches and doing stuff at, at the Acme Comedy Theater, and there was a guy there who just didn't drink, mm-hmm. like he was a Christian, and mm-hmm. he just didn't drink, like didn't. <laughs> And I say that like with what <laughs> I yeah. say that with wonderment. Yeah. And so nice, nice guy. And so I just attached myself to him. Like it's so funny. And we're still friends now. And I, I thank him uh, quite often for this. But like I was like, Josh, I, like what? Like a Friday night. Mm-hmm. Like we have a show. Mm-hmm. And this is all I knew to do. We have a sketch show. And then you go to the bar next door and you drink. Right. And ideally... Somebody thinks you're cute, right. and you kiss him. Right. That's living. Yeah. That's a good that's night. Right. If more than one person thinks you're cute, that's huge. Right. But at least if one person yeah. thinks you're cute you and you can right. kiss them, dear diary. Yeah. And so I was like, Josh, like I have a show tonight, and I like, what do we do? And he was like, Well, we do the show, and then we can hang out and talk or whatever. And right. I was like. What? And right. of course in my head, maybe you, we'll maybe we'll kiss. Yeah. <laughs> like, I guess I could I guess I could not drink and kiss, but he was not inviting me to kiss. Right. <laughs> he right. was just legitimately saying we could discuss ideas about life. And right. so I would just do these shows and, and Josh was the tech guy. And I would do these shows and then I would just follow Josh around and he taught me how to be sober mm-hmm. as just a normal person, mm-hmm. which he is. And like one, like at Halloween, my first sober Halloween in LA, like we, he has a buddy bike. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, come to my place. We'll get on bikes. Mm-hmm. We went to a little local carnival mm-hmm. in the neighborhood, which was so fun. Mm-hmm. And kids in their crazy outfits, not drinking alcohol. Mm-hmm. And then we went over to, it's called Boney Island. Mm-hmm. Do you know it? Where there's a guy mm-hmm. from the Simpsons who basically puts on a yard carnival that's mm-hmm. like, uh, not animated in that sense, but like electric, like he like electro. He did like electric, like skeletons dancing and water shows and like this amazing, they did for free Mm -hmm. in his yard, Mm -hmm. in his neighborhood, Boney Island. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is incredible. And then we, we bicycle, even bicycling at night Mm -hmm. is like a thrill. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's Mm -hmm. terrifying and it's fun and it's breezy. And we, we biked over to the subway, Mm -hmm. locked up the bikes took the subway without doing acid, took the subway to Hollywood and then just wandered around the Hollywood streets. Oh, we went and saw um, Nightmare Before Christmas at the El El Capitan Theater. And it was great. And like, I was like, oh, this was just fun. And so Josh and I would do like, we'd do a show and then go have frozen yogurt or whatever. I I do remember my first sober Halloween as... I decided to, like, not just get into it, but to make my own costume. And I decided to be a candy cane, so I bought white pants, and I sewed red fabric into them. Because you have that kind of time when you're not drinking. Well, and I was just so excited to kind of get into Halloween for the right reasons. And there was that guy who used to always, he still may, have those, that huge Halloween party, Shane, uh... 
he was like that highest paid screenwriter guy. Oh, Shane Black? Shane Black. Oh. have these Halloween parties. You're much more glamorous no. than No, and I used to go. I'm riding bicycles with Josh. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to go to this big screenwriter's party. No, I remember I knew one of the guys who like lived on his property. And so he, Still. he would hook me up. And I, you knew the Cato Kalen or did. Shane Black. I did. And, um, and then... Yeah, and I just remember, because I'd been to that party wasted so many times, and so going, and I just was like, I'm so rad in my costume that's homemade. (laughs) Meanwhile, like, I'm not good with things like that. I'm a sexy candy cane. No, but then, like, the hat never really worked, you know, the top of the cane. Anyway, so, 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 so you were just a stick. I was like weird red thing (laughs) sewn onto my white pants. (laughs) Nobody could understand. Yeah, but I was into it. That's great. Yeah. You weren't a Shane Blackout. No, I wasn't. I had been before. Wow. So, okay. That's well, great. Well, I mean, we we have gone. So now I'm like rich and successful and so Yeah, happy, right? and happy every day. <laughs> I've never been sad again. Yeah. Well, no, but I did just get a therapist and she identified a brain chemistry issue. Mm-hmm. Like I've continued meditating. I mean, it really, I hate to use the... It's an onion that you peel the layers of, but, you know, you really do keep getting deeper into wellness. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not fun all the time. It's not fun all the time. It gets not fun and then better because it's like, you know, you hit that wall and then, you know, find a way over it. So it's really, yeah. So it's really been nice. So I do actually feel good. I'm I'm between things again right now, but getting good freelance work, you know, just, Mm -hmm. I'm just better able to function Mm -hmm. in in the world. Mm -hmm. It's nice. And the funniest girl I know, which I might not have thought that if I'd seen you, you know, if I'd seen that you would video. Have, you, you would have been this girl. You would have been like, I hate to tell you this, but you were so much funnier when you were drinking. Yeah. No, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I remember once having someone say, I'm still friends with him. We did an all night Coke bender. And him saying to me as he dropped me off at like 10 in the morning, um, you were so much cooler at the beginning of the night. Oh. And it was like one of those mini wake-up calls that no, it just made me hate him. But but later I looked back and saw and thought, oh, wow. That was someone, that was someone <laughs> telling me something. But Laura, such a delight, such a delight to have you on this podcast. You know, you were you were a part of it in the beginning, and then you got so busy fired. and sober what? and successful. That you fired through. me in sobriety. I did not. <laughs> I was so sad that you couldn't. That was a year ago when I had work um and and but it's so cool to have you on now yeah thank you thank you it's great what you're doing mm. and i love that people are listening mm-hmm, and, they and are. you're getting help and it's really it and it's such a great title for it after party because it's like that is the big fear that like oh fun life ends and it's like it certainly doesn't and certainly the excitement of what like i wasn't present for any of that so right. none, none of it was fun i was also I very just, depressed the last few years super depressed so there was nothing fun about that yeah if you have to drink all the time yeah <laughs> it's uh you're not having a lot of fun no no well let's end on that that's such a good note i love it funny girl right amazing girl right that was laura house go check her out on laurahouse.com she's also on twitter who is it and yeah that was laura house on after party pod see you next time